Greetings, and welcome to Blue Stocking, the podcast for people who love to learn, but don't always have time to study. I'm your host, Rory Roberts, and today I am delighted to bring you an interview with the writer and director of a show that is playing in Austin, Texas right now, Fixing Troilus and Cressida, produced by The Rude Mechs. Now, Fixing Troilus and Cresta is an adaptation, uh, almost line for line, of Shakespeare's play, Troilus and Cressida, and it's part of a series called Fixing Shakespeare, which takes Shakespeare's lesser-known works and reinvents them in modern language, uh, condensing the story and characters into a smaller, more diverse cast and telling the story in modern English. If you are around Austin and get a chance to go see this show, I cannot stress enough how great it truly is. If you're not around Austin, but you're still curious about the work that they're doing, the website is www.rudemex.com. Uh, that's the word rude and M-E-C-H-S dot com. That's a nod to the Rude Mechanicals in Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. You can actually email this theater company and request to read one of their scripts uh, for the Fixing Shakespeare series and they will gladly send it to you. They're, they're just, they're creating great work and they're such a welcoming community of artists. It's really very inspiring. And the two that I got to sit down with, Alex and Kirk, the director and writer, were both so generous with their time and with their thoughts. I'm, I'm so grateful. And if I can quote them, and you'll understand when you hear the interview, I think they are both national treasures. So sit back, relax, enjoy this insight into an amazing production and uh, I do apologize for the sound quality we were in a large echoey room so if if that is an issue I apologize I'm still kind of learning sound mixing here um, and I'm not able to get everything out and bring other things up so I do apologize but it's well worth the listen they are lovely lovely human beings who are creating great art and putting it out into the world. So, all right. Yeah. Uh, so, thank you guys so much for doing this. I really, I'm still kind of just oh, giggly. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I have to tell you, yeah. um, I have been following the Fixing Shakespeare series since it came out. Oh, cool. Um, and so I saw Fixing King John. Oh, cool. And uh, I had just come back from studying at the Globe the summer before, oh, wow. and I loved the whole environment of, of like including the audience as this kind of symbiotic performance piece, um, and, and so when I saw that production, I really, really loved the connections that the actors made to the audience and how personal it was, um, and I still have memories of uh, like all of, all of their death scenes, yeah, their which death were scenes. so... Yeah, at each death they would say how they as a person would rather die than how their character died. And, and yeah. I still have it in my head, and I think that's such a testament to yeah. the work that you guys do. 
Um, so I'm oh, gonna, thank you. I'm yeah. going to shut up, <laughs> let you guys introduce yourselves and, and the Rude Mechs and the Fixing, Fixing Shakespeare series, if you would. Hi, I'm Kirk. Uh, I am a artistic director and uh, the playwright of the Fixing Shakespeare series. Uh, and this is my friend Alex. Hi, I'm Alex, and I am. I directed the show, and I'm the managing director with Rude Max and a company member. And a company with Rude member. Max. Yeah. Rude Max is a now what? 22, almost 22 year old. Oh God. Theater collective based in Austin, Texas. We make work from scratch. Here in Austin, we tour it all around. Ambassadors of Texas. Yeah. And uh, and this is the Fixing Shakespeare series, which is the brainchild of Kirk. And I think we always really value that. I mean, we value our relationship to the community, to Austin, and our relationship with our audience, which has been going on for tw almost 22 years. And so I think that affection for the audience is part of just our ethos. Or whatever. Yeah. The podcasting people will never know that it just got super bright in the room. It did. They yeah. The lights got turned on. I always warn my students when I turn on the lights. I'm like, lights going on. Watch out. Cover yeah. your eyes. Um, all right. Uh, so I would love to know, I guess, uh, what you hope audiences will take away from this experience. I mean, I think my greatest desire is the sort of... Um, weird fantasy, I mean one of my desires is to know what it would be like to go see a Shakespeare play in Shakespeare's time and the, some of the thinking is like not really knowing the story which is why we do the least produced Shakespeare so that uh, this one especially I think is really strange to people, they don't know exactly how things are going to turn out um, and so you get that surprise of like what's going to happen. Everybody knows sort of how Romeo and Juliet is a part of our culture, Hamlet's a part of our culture but Time of Athens and Charles and Crescent are not a part of our culture so you get that surprise. But then also my experience of Shakespeare as I learned it was that it's so, there's so many, there's so much cursing, there's so many fart jokes, there's so many dick jokes. Um, and so to make the language contemporary and fresh as it was in Shakespeare's time and colloquial and funny and foul. Um, well, at the same time, I think trying to hold on to the relationships and the connections and the sadness and the hopes. Um, so really it's sort of that. I hope the audience feels like, oh my God, maybe this is what it feels like to be in 1609, which I think is, this is like 1608, 1609, and like, this one was done, um, or written. Yeah, that's one of my hopes. Well, for what it's yeah. worth, uh, that's what it has been like for me. Oh, um, good. Just like, coming, and, and it feels very immediate, um, and, and fresh, like yeah. you said, like, and because it's not that language, um, you know, it, it feels new and I think for Shakespeare's audiences like the language wasn't a barrier yeah. um, so although I think for some of them too it was like oh I'm hearing new words like yeah. what, I'm going to well, go to the theater and like learn some cool yeah. new words and insults and all that jazz. Yeah. Um, they're new because he's making them up he's yeah. making up words left and right yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah and then I think there's just a hope too that we give a good we make a good show for people um, and just have a good time I mean at every Fixing Shakespeare, there's also just free beer, because I think we want to foster that spirit of just like the groundlings, of like what it's like to just hang out and be with people and have a relaxed, nice evening at the yeah. theater. Yeah. I think that, that, I think as we worked on this show, we were always thinking how much it's resonating with what's going on in the world today, and um, I hope that it sheds light on uh, the danger of bravado and the difficulty of 
being a genuine damn person, uh-huh. <laughs> even even to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I've been thinking about a lot. Uh, I would jump into that. Like, there's not a lot of forethought to which plays next. It's sort of like, what, what haven't we done? What's the instinct? I mean, I really wanted to do Lovers, so I thought Trost and Crested would be nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you pointed out to me, like, the relationship of, like, um, Ulysses and Cressida to the sort of Me Too movement. Like, it becomes oh, hyper-topical sure. of, like, mm-hmm. this is what it's like when a man who has power uh, abuses that power and essentially attacks and harasses a woman to the point where she's honestly just looking for protection and he's trying to leverage that, her need, into his own satisfaction, his own desires. Yeah, and I really struggle with that scene because I think of it as when you're, when you're asking for protection, you have to use wiles and, and what it's like to... Uh, to diffuse something as a woman in a war, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, it can feel shameful. It can feel um, like getting rid of your own, own integrity to get something to keep you safe. Um, and that scene is so special too because Troilus is watching and, and witnesses it all and still can't reconcile um, her offering herself to him in whatever way she does. Mm-hmm. Um, which, man, that's going on all the time. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, and my reaction as an audience member, um, I thought it was very insidious just how Ulysses wasn't physically forceful, um, but kind of like using his words um, yeah. and, and sometimes space um, to make a point that was disturbing. Yeah, and it's so gritty, it's so dark and ugly that, that there's a implied, I mean, he says, like, I'm being so gallant because I'm not attacking you, but he's letting her know I could attack you yeah. at any moment. So that physical force is always there, it's always floating, it's always ambient. It's implied. Yeah, yeah, it underlines everything. Yeah, it's so ugly. And then I might, the actors are so fantastic and the oh, directing yeah. is so great that my heart breaks anew every night when Cressida just asked Troilus, like, see me, see me for who I am and what I had to do. And he is unable to make what should be a small leap. He's the one who says earlier, like, we have to translate what we say and what we do into the best possible version. Uh, and he's unable to do that because he's been made to feel small. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know that different productions look at um, the likelihood of the relationship surviving uh, past the point of the play if these things hadn't happened. Yeah. Do you guys have an opinion on that? Would you like to share? Or Oh, I think they're really in love. Mm-hmm. I think when, he's, when she says fondly, hey, it's like such a relief that they have mm-hmm. been destined for one another. Um, yeah. I do think had there not been a war that that, yeah, I think they would. I mean, I don't know. That's a great question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that love, oh God, it's such a cliche, but like love does not conquer all. That you can feel true, committed love and still suffer your own demons and, and try to be a better person for someone and, and fail at that. And um, I don't know if the war wasn't in the way if they would make it, but I know that uh, the war and the prep for the wars quite toxic and uh, affected how they um, navigate the world. I don't know. Yeah. Trillis has a line, they were something like the longer the war goes on, the more I'm a soldier and now I'm almost nothing else. I mean, I do think he is being changed. One of the themes is how, you know, Hector talks about how it's terrible things we have to do as adults and that we betray these like greater hopes. 
And there's even, like Troilus says, like our wishes are totally sincere, even her abilities aren't there. Mm. So I think his love is real, Cressida's love is real, and then the abilities, the things they need are different than the, what they would do. And there is a macho inertia, as they talk about, that like sweeps them along. I'm gonna say yes, absolutely. <laughs> if just not for the war, they would love each other truly and forever. They'd be together forever. Forever, absolutely. I hope so too. Yeah. Do you all have a favorite line or moment in the play? Whoa. I think for, for the writer, one of the funny things is that often lines that'll hit me and I'll be like, oh, I'm gonna go back and look what was the original that inspired that or whatever. And one of my favorite lines is when they, when Troilus and Cressida are first falling in love and just unable to quite kiss each other, they're right at the edge. And Pandarini says, shame is a baby. Uh, I was like, that line is so good. What is the original? And I looked it back up, and the original is, shame's a baby. I didn't change anything. It's just like Shakespeare's. It's such a great line. It's so compact. It's so great. And the yeah. woman you have playing Pandarini is so funny. Cassie Ravellis. Yeah. Oh, uh, my goodness. She is a national treasure. She really is. Yeah. She was killing me. You know, yeah. And I got really excited. Uh, and that's another thing that I know that you guys are striving to do is to um, break down the like break down the show into a smaller number of roles and create more roles for women. Yeah. I love how diverse this cast was and, and that we had Pandarini and Agamemnon, uh, yeah. which Laureline is also a national treasure. <laughs> also, yeah, she is amazing. And then it's great to get the chance yeah, to work with her and watch how she works. and. Yeah, I mean, yeah, one of the games is there's 24 characters, we have to get those down to, ideally we get them down to 10, but this one is 12. It had to be. It had to be 12. So good. That's and 12. then the casts are under, they underutilize the narratives of women. I mean, that's one of the themes of the story is that men's history leaves out women. Mm -hmm. um, and so trying to gender screw it so we get more women's voices in the play. Yeah. It's been a real treasure. Yeah. As a woman, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite line is when Paris says, I don't eat food anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Only spices. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's exquisite. Such a, such a great yeah. Also, that exercise bike is such a good addition. <laughs> That's all Alex's direction. Get the men working out there in a workout. They gotta be room. workout. They yeah. gotta work out. We need oh, some, and Hector with some the, lifting. With the one arm weight uh, as, he, yeah. as he leaves the stage. Like, Oh, I, there are so many wonderful pictures, and oh. and I love also how you guys use comedy to make us feel the tragedy all the more deeply. Uh, I, I have like a personal thing where I like the comedy that I like is often very sad. Mm -hmm. I don't really like silly comedy, but I like really sad comedy, like the British Office. And so to have this sense that they are very silly and very ridiculous, and yet their desires are very sincere and. Mm -hmm. They want to live and survive and love each other and have families and their own stupidity gets in the way. Yeah. I think also during the process of building the play, we were, the alchemy was always like, what's funny, what's not funny, where are we going with this? And the process of fixing as a group, because also it's a bunch of great comedic actors and dramatic actors mm -hmm. and they can choose what side of the spectrum to lean into. Mm -hmm. um, so we were really learning how it would move and what it would mean as we were building it, uh, which is like really cool to do when you're working on a show to like, it could go in many directions and which is the one that, that suits this group now today. Um, 
I don't know if I'm going in any direction. But. No, I think it's true. I mean, I think it's very particular to Alex's direction, like the, the actors that we have, their, their sense of the world. I mean, if there's a beauty to Shakespeare, there is a beauty to Shakespeare, but one of the beauties of Shakespeare is that it is so interpretable. Is this situation comic or is it... I mean, I think one of the reasons this play is not done more is that it is a real problem play. Mm-hmm. It seems funny, it seems romantic, it seems tragic, and it's unclear, like, what are we supposed to take from this? How are we supposed to make it? And I think contemporary audiences, there's some writing in this book, Shakespeare Without Tears, that points toward this, the notion that what we think of as pretty normal, that things are both funny and sad at the same time, Elizabethan audiences were like, that's not how it works. The bad guys are supposed to be twirling their mustaches, and the good guys are supposed to be wearing white hats. And this, everybody is sort of crooked and weird and funny and sad at the same time, which we, I think we have an easier time eating in the, yeah. you know, 2017. 2018, oh 2018. <laughs> uh, So can we talk a little bit more about the process of developing the show? Um, so you mentioned actors, like, do they, are they involved from the get-go, or how does, how does that work? Well, it all begins with Kirk. Yes. It mean, begins with Shakespeare. It begins with Shakespeare, which really then it begins with, like, Holland Shed's Chronicles and the Iliad and all the places <laughs> he stole from. Um, uh... And then there's this process of just going line by line, word by word, and translating it into contemporary English, mm-hmm. um, and adding curse words, or keeping the curse words fresh. And then it meets this moment a year before production, usually. We have a reading, and now we've sort of landed on having two readings with a week in between so that we can cut a bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the moment that it meets the actors, and it starts to get voice, and it meets yeah. the director, and starts to really live as a live event. Uh, rather than as literature, as finding out what's funny, what people are reacting to in the room, what's moving. And we had some of this cast was in that. Some of this cast was in there. And uh, some people uh, traveled. And I mean, we built this incredible ensemble out of like passion and luck. We're very grateful for who we have today. But, um, but the trajectory from that reading even within that reading with the cuts and also with the election happening in between. So we had this hilarious like romp of the first reading. I think it, I mean, I don't know that people knew it was a tragedy. Like I feel like it was just hilarious. And then uh, uh, our president was elected and, um, and the second read resonated in so many new ways and it was cut down in ways that also made those resonances happen. because suddenly the idea of like a leader who is also a buffoon and maybe is uh, has macho inertia and doesn't understand what he's doing, like all that started to ripple through the play. Yeah, and that this woman leader was disrespected by um, yeah, yeah. the men that she was leading. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, and it, I mean, yeah. So then, then you worked on it more. Yeah. And then we started rehearsing. Uh, we had a five-week process in advance of here. We rehearsed. And it's probably worth saying all of Rudbeck's work. I mean, I think we think that to make a live uh, piece of art, you have to rehearse with an audience. And so those readings, we also hear the audience, what they laugh at, what they are moved by, what they seem to be responding to. And it's such a great gift in these projects and in everything that we make to do them multiple times for live audiences before we consider them finished so we can think about what's working. I mean, you can know, you can sort of have what's happening in the rehearsal room, but then once you you don't know what's happening until you get with people and figure out, oh, we thought this was sad, but yeah. it's funny here. Oh, we thought this was funny, but it's sad. And or, it was always great in the room to have 
uh, other eyes and ears and bring in disruptors throughout yeah. the process because they can shed light on how it sounds right now because we also get kind of immersed in what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, one of the greatest pleasures was like the day before opening when all the co-producing artistic directors came in and uh, they were like, oh, this is what this is what it is. And we were like, oh, this is what it is. <laughs> Here we are. Uh, and we got to um, make these little final tweaks, um, uh, which are always a pleasure to me. Uh, yeah. That that um, just that that relationship. It's not a disruptor. It's another collaborator, Kirk. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, Alex. Oh, it's like the show is evolving. Like yeah. you're yeah. always you're always improving. You're always like finding new ways to. And now, what, are we in the third week now? This is the third week. I would, I mean, even now, in the third week, I feel like the actors are really owning the parts and feeling okay. fast and loose with it, and they're playing a lot. There's a lot of, like, flourishes of them sort of saying and doing what they want to, which is delightful. <laughs> um, and just owning the characters. I would say the character, uh, I was noticing tonight a bunch of new stuff that Pandorini was doing that just felt yeah. like, oh, it just belongs to her now. Yeah. It's a nice moment when... I mean, the play sort of gets passed around, right? Where it belongs to Shakespeare, and then it belongs to me, and then it belongs to Alex, and she shapes an entire vision, and then it starts to belong to the actors themselves. And then hopefully it belongs to a few people in the audience. Just a couple. Yeah. Just the people with kebabs. <laughs> the people who fucking get it. <laughs> Dang it, I did not get a kebab the other night. <laughs> didn't get a kebab, didn't get a t-shirt. Why even come to the theater anymore? Because it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Oh. I, you enjoy it. Oh yeah. man, and I, you know, and I tell people about it, and I try to explain like this is probably what Shakespeare felt like to his audiences, and I also I hope you won't mind the comparison, but um, it kind of reminds me of if the Coen Brothers took Shakespeare, oh, that's like fun. took yeah, a plot yeah, yeah. and like what's a brother without work? Yeah. That was the Odyssey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so that. Yeah. That's kind of stuck in my mind, and it's a good way to like get people to understand who aren't yeah. theater people and aren't Shakespeare people. Like, it's quirky and awesome, and has these nuggets of just yeah. I mean, I pure truth. It's, and it's, in some sense, we've done Shakespeare a disservice by canonizing him and making him a part of like high school curriculum because mm-hmm. you met, it then becomes homework rather than like, oh no, it's this delicious. Um, a trickster, goofball, punk rocker who's making really weird art that doesn't even know exactly what it is. <laughs> but once it starts to be like, oh no, this is high art, or this is important, <laughs> I think it loses a lot of its bawdiness and yeah. its wildness. Um, but Shakespeare is unruly. Yeah. I don't think he'll, I don't think he ever plays by the rules. He like keeps sneaking in. I think one of the reasons he lasts so long is that his characters are complex. Like the good people are also bad, the happy people are also sad. Like, He's always like twisting things, and he has great compassion for always the person that you think is going to be the heel or the bad guy, which I think even in his day was challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking of the Shylocks, the Iagos, the um, the characters that are set up to sort of be the heels, and in fact turn out to be rich, and marvelous. So I want to ask you yeah. guys. Uh, you you made me think that I'm a high school theater teacher. Yeah. And I do Shakespeare with my kids, but yeah. I'm not like, oh, you have to worship him. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I always start it out with, I combine it, we do Shakespearean insults and fight scenes. Hey! Um, so that's could great. I pick your brains about what your favorite Shakespearean insults are? Oh, that's so good. There's oh. so many great insults. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Sorry uh, to put you on the spot there. 
Yeah. Well, hold on. I need to tell you all something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So at the end of each fixing play that Kirk fixes, he oh, yeah. has a collection of lines that, uh, what are they like, your faves that you can't use or something? Yeah, they're sort of extras. And they, he assigns them to messengers and, and lords, like, and, lords ladies and ladies. And, and there was one in this one that I loved, which was like, if you were, no, wait, I'm not going to do it right. <laughs> it was like, your insult would hurt me, but you're so short that it doesn't reach me. I don't know what it was. I mean, it's way better than that, but um, I liked that one a lot. <laughs> uh, I especially save insults as they get cut from the play. I'm like, oh, I'll tuck these in the end. There's a great, I think it's Puddinhead Wilson by Mark Twain, uh -huh. that when you read in the foreword, Mark Twain says, in the voice of the author, he says, I'm not very good at describing weather, but I know a lot of people like weather in their books, and so at the end of this book, I put a bunch of different weather, and if you want to read any weather at any point, just flip to the back and look at the different weather. And you think, haha, that's so funny, and then you read the novel, and then you get to the end, and there's literally a list of weather, and I was like, oh, that's so funny. So at the beginning of the play, there's a note that's like, you know, a lot of people think Shakespeare's plays are better with a bunch of messengers, and lords and ladies, and, you know, whatever. Uh, so at the end, there's some extra lines if you want to populate the play, and then and it's a lot. Lo and oh, behold, I mean, there's a whole other play to put on where we include all these, <laughs> yeah, like servants and messengers and lords and ladies. Yeah. Oh, there's oh, so man. many. I mean, what's the greatest insult of of any Shakespeare? I have to think. And they're so foul. I mean, Time of Athens was like just yeah, that one was super loaded foul. with. I mean, there's two. There's a he does it in Time of Athens, and then we. It is not in our fixing, but at the end of this play, what really happens is Pan. Duras comes out and tells the audience basically, I bequeath my venereal disease to you. That is the <laughs> oh last line of this play. That. Yeah, oh. I give you my diseases. Uh, it is so foul and dirty. Uh, I just can't imagine why audiences, I mean, why would they ever produce this play? Because at the end. <laughs> I don't know, Craig, that works. You like that? I like it. Maybe yeah. we should change it for the next change week. It back? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there's the same the same move sort of happens in Timon where Timon sends into Athens two prostitutes to spread venereal disease throughout Athens, which are just like why are we teaching this in high school? It's so foul. It's so disgusting. I love it. <laughs> well, they they cover up the good part. I know. They, they, yeah, yeah. yeah. They edit it. Yeah. I mean, in this play, I love the way they tease Achilles, and Achilles thinks oh, he's God. so important, and then they come around and like, I mean, even something simple like just. Acting like they don't know his name and calling him a coolie. <laughs> and the walk. Yeah, the yes. yeah. What's your favorite insult? Uh, I have had a lot of success with villain I have done thy mother. Wow, yeah. That's too contemporary. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to put, we do a Shakespeare showcase every yeah. year, so, and um, this year the shirts had Shakespeare at his desk and it says swagger. I invented it. Um, oh, nice. And then I think next year it's going to be Villain I Have Done Thy Mother uh, and, and see if I can get away with that. Um, That's pretty great. Yeah. yeah. I like it, though, because I'll do insults with the kids and I'll keep that one hidden away. Like, I'll give them a page with, like, this yeah. fight scene that I've made up uh, with lines pulled from different plays. Um, and we'll be playing with it. We'll be, like, hitting each other. You know, I've got these, like, pool noodles that oh will, like, hit each other on keywords. And uh, then so I get good. to pull out Bill and I have done my mother. And they're like, oh. what? <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, classic. you've heard me. A yo mama joke. <laughs> yeah. Jonesing. Like, it's still a it's part of still, great, yeah. yeah, the culture of insulting people. <laughs> great insult battle, rap battles. Yeah. Shakespeare was into it. That's so good. That's a great exercise. 
Thanks. <laughs> and it keeps it that it keeps it from being precious. It's like oh yeah, no, it's yeah. Cold. And they get to be physical with it, which you know. Yeah. I think it helps so much to get them up and yeah. moving and feeling it like without having to worry about like oh la la you know. Yeah. 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 The big preciousness. Yeah. It's so weird that in the same author there is this incredible base humor, this love of insults, this love of potty humor, sexual humor. And then the same thing that can write, you know, tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Because of philosophies. Yeah. And can also then have this great human compassion for everybody in his plays. Um, the big and the small is pretty wonderful. Good job, Shakespeare. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> thanks for that. And I do think it's a great pleasure to go into the, letter, the lesser known ones and sort of dig around and find these beautiful speeches. Yeah. King John was interesting because it turns out that King John used to be one of the most popular and then we just stopped doing it but the role of Constance was like one of the key roles and Constance has this great my favorite speech which everybody who listens to this the, podcast should look up or like that I pulled out my hair yeah, yeah, yeah. oh oh she was so and good they say the kings want to talk to you and she says bid the kings come to me my sorrow is so great the kings come to me now it's just like she's lost her son and she's like I'm not goofing around anymore. My sorrow is so huge. Oh. Kings come to me, and they do. They it's, come to her. Yeah. And the woman who played her, I thought, was just fantastic. Sparta Chisholm. She's um, a national treasure. Yeah, a national. Treasure. Oh, you guys yeah. have pulled all these national Treasures treasures together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, I but I remember going to see Fixing King John, and I was sitting on this platform. I was kind of like like this, like a kitten, just yeah. <laughs> oh, so good. Uh, and she got up next to me at one point and she's like, excuse me, darling. You know? <laughs> yeah. I have to do a speech now. Um, and I'm just like. Yeah. And she was doing all those great constant oh, speeches. Yeah. Oh, she's, it's such a great she's role. So good. Yeah. Oh, thank you guys. Oh, thanks so thank much you. for sharing. And, and I can't wait to promote the show. Um, thanks for interviewing yeah. Are you kidding? I'm, I'm like a kid in a candy shop and right now. I think <laughs> on our website, but also people can just email info at rudemax.com and we share the scripts with anybody who ever wants them. And they can look at all the secret lines. And we want your feedback on the show, so email us too to tell us what you think. Yeah, yes, of course. Great yeah. notes from people. Yeah. Fantastic. I, I have to ask, uh, have you guys thought about posting the work on the National New Play Exchange? Sure. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, I just have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's done. It'll be up by tomorrow. Yay! Soon. Uh, yeah. But of course, I will put in the show notes um, info about how to follow yeah. the Rubemex and, and see you know what, what I love to hear from people. I love for people to write me and tell them what they think is the worst Shakespeare, the one that needs to be fixed the most. I love hearing people's opinions about like because I'm trying to decide what to do next. We're thinking about Cymbeline. We're thinking about Henry VIII. But really, I'd love to do a comedy. I haven't done a straight comedy. I vote Henry the Eighth. Yeah. Just because it's got forty-two characters, forty-four characters, something like that. Make that twelve. Yes. Yeah, yeah cut that to twelve. Yeah. Easy. That's no problem. Although, yeah. uh, so Don Nigro, although I'm, I think I'm saying his name wrong. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, he did a Shakespeare adaptation called *The Curate Shakespeare as You Like It*, um, uh-huh. and it's it's written. The characters in the play are these actors who are terrible who are trying to put on oh, wow. Shakespeare yeah. but they only have seven and like <laughs> the seven that they have aren't that good one's crazy and you know it's it's a beautiful script um, yeah I, I should check that out yeah it's yeah. a wonderful script um, but 
OSF right now, the Oregon Shakespeare Festival is doing this enormous commission where they are commissioning contemporary authors to translate into contemporary English all of Shakespeare's canon, mm. um, which is a fantastic project. Uh, they are asking them to like not to cut anything and not to adapt it too much, which is, I wish they would do a little more of that, but it's still amazing. It's all the best playwrights in America doing. So if you like new Shakespeare, Follow Oregon Shakespeare. And come see this through March 31st, yes. Thursdays through Saturdays. Rudenext.com. Rudenext.com. Ours is shorter, faster, and funnier. Oh, yeah. And wilder. Free beer. And we got and free, free beer. beer. Yeah. Come on. I have been kind of like sneakily telling my students about it. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's this amazing show. I can't take you. <laughs> um, I'm not allowed to take you. But, we check IDs and we do, there's no beer for the yeah, kids, yeah. but there is a lot of curse words and yeah, yeah which uh, is what they like. Yeah. It, yeah. And it's not like they're not saying it. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Sometimes when people get uppity in the theater, I'm just like, have you ever watched Game of Thrones or Deadwood or any show that anybody watches? Like. Oh, I'm just like I'm just I keep. Or read Shakespeare. <laughs> I keep getting images of this production just as we're talking, and it's just, oh, it was so beautiful. Yeah. Um, it's just, I'm really happy. And now we're near, you know, it'll eventually go away and then we'll be sad. I know. I've already had the first bout of sad. Yeah. And now we're going to have another bout of sad. It's so lovely to watch. Yeah, I know it is. <laughs> well, I was in the vestibule watching. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep doing it till they tell us not to do it anymore. Yeah. Then we'll do something else. Anyway. Yeah. Yay. Yay. Yay, Shakespeare. Yeah. Yay, Shakespeare. Thank, Thank you, you guys Thank so you. much. Thank you.